Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. Episode number 123 of the Sports Spectrum Podcast with former Major League Baseball number one overall draft pick Mark Appel is sponsored in part by Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today, $38 a month, I promise you. You will not regret it. The best $38 you'll spend every month. Compassion sponsors like you and me are helping over 1.8 million children in 25 countries, and yet it's never larger than one child at a time, one day at a time, one sponsor at a time. Make a difference. Bring hope and a future to a child by sponsoring with Compassion. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today. Today's guest on the podcast is Mark Appel. Now, Mark, former number one overall draft pick by the Houston Astros back in 2013, played his college ball at Stanford, 2012 Pac-12 Scholar Athlete of the Year, NCAA National Pitcher of the Year, graduated early after three years and two quarters with a degree in management, science, and engineering, and he was selected by the Astros in 2013, the year before He was selected by the Pirates number eight overall in 2012, but he turned down that opportunity and a very large signing bonus, almost $4 million, to return to Stanford. And then the following year was selected by his hometown, Houston Astros, in 2013. Mark's career is an interesting one because he never made it to the major leagues. And many called him, including the Bleacher Report article that was written back in January, perhaps the biggest bust in Major League Baseball history. You would think that Mark, in a sense, is a failure as far as being a baseball player. But when you listen to this interview, I think you'll see that Mark has a joy and a peace in many ways, like the Bible says, that passes all understanding. And back in February, it was announced that Mark would take an indefinite leave of absence from the game of baseball. Indefinite break was the exact wording. And at the age of 26, It's interesting because he's stepping away from a game that he's loved and pitched for for many years. But on this podcast, we talk about making that decision, why he stepped away from baseball, why he needed to get away from baseball, whether he can actually be around baseball since he's walked away from it and stepped away from it. We also take you through his journey to becoming the number one overall pick and then some struggles in the minor leagues, never getting to the major league level, and including an amazing story that he shares during his time in Lancaster, California in 2013, that really turned his his life around from a spiritual perspective. He grew up as a Christian. He grew up knowing the Lord from an early age, but this time something happened, and the way Mark tells that story was fantastic. We also talk about discipleship, pouring in and receiving uh, mentorship from people. And Mark talks about a mentor named Jim Stump that had a huge impact on his life in college. And we talk about the, the powerful, um, real-life meaning of what mentorship is about and why it's so vital, especially in a, in a Christian's life. I really th- think you guys will like this interview. Surprisingly enough to me, this is one where I think you got to bring the notebook and take some notes because Mark Mark starts, Mark really spits out some, some really awesome nuggets of wisdom here, and I think it's worth listening back to and taking notes on. So let's get right to it. Without further ado, the former number one overall draft pick in Major League Baseball back in 2013 by the Houston Astros, 
pitcher Mark Appel joins us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Take a listen. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, Mark. And you announced in, in February of this year, 2018, that you were stepping away from baseball at the age of 26. It's now summertime as we're taping this. How has this year been for you not pitching probably for the first time since I got to guess you were a little boy, I have to imagine. How has this year been going for you? Uh, I mean, it's been great. Um, just the fact that, uh, you know, I get to be in Houston with my family, close friends, um, get to get kind of learn um, lo- what life is like away from baseball um, has been a, a huge pers- perspective shift. And um, it, it's just been a really really encouraging, um, encouraging year for me. Um, there've been just, you know, the blessings of really good relationships, um, just time to, to be able to, to spend, I mean, yeah, just intentional time with the people that I love the most that I I really didn't have a chance to do while I was playing baseball. Um, and so I, I've just been really thankful and really feel like I've been growing and learning a lot. Um, both about the Lord and myself. And, um, it, it's been, it's been really good. Was there an adjustment period for you that was a little difficult? What was the hardest adjustment for you, at least maybe in the beginning without baseball? Um, I would say, you know, I would say that the hardest thing was, um, you know, was maybe also the easiest thing. It, it just was getting out of the routine of, you know, mid February comes around and I'm, ex- I, I'm kind of in the mindset to go start spring training and, yeah. and now I'm not in spring training and it's like, all right, well, what do I do? What do I do now? Uh, <laughs> right. Um, what, you know, I, I feel like I have, you know, so, so many opportunities or so much in front of me and it's like, what, what do I put my mind to put my energy and efforts to? Um, and so it, that was both, a really kind of a relieving thing, but also a hard thing just because, you know, I was like, well, I, I don't know. I, I guess I have to start somewhere and, you know, just trust the Lord that he'll, he'll kind of lead my, lead my steps and, and show me kind of what I need to be doing. So obviously your faith is, is a large part of your life. And we'll talk about where that was shaped in a minute, but how much did that come into play in making this decision in seeking the Lord for his will guidance, that type of thing? I mean, it was huge. Um, you know, I, I probably, I, I, you know, I've been praying about the decision, um, and really just what my future was in baseball, um, both long-term and kind of in the immediate future, um, for, you know, probably five or six months before even making the decision to kind of step away. And so it was, I mean, it was a huge thing, both just my kind of intentional personal time with the Lord and, and then time with community, um, and, and just seeking good godly wisdom and counsel, um, you know, have really been how I've made most of the bigger decisions in my life. You were quoted in, in the Bleacher Report article was the sort of the one that kind of put this out on the national spotlight when you made your decision. And you were quoted in that article as saying, I enjoy challenging my mind. My last four years in baseball have challenged my mind. I was wondering for you, Mark, how, how was your mind challenge playing professional baseball and maybe the good and the bad side of that? 
You know, I, I think, I think for, I mean, most athletes will understand how, how much of a mental sport baseball is. Um, and probably most sports, I mean, it, it's a, it's a, you know, a mental and a physical grind, um, baseball, especially being a, a game kind of built around failure and how, you know, um, they, it's just, you, if you're a, if you're kind of a critic of yourself, you'll, you can easily find anything that you're doing wrong. Um, and, you know, I, I've always had a kind of a really high expectation for myself and, you know, for most of my life have really been a, a solid performer. I've put my mind to something, I've set goals and then I've just gone and executed and I've accomplished things throughout my life. Um, and then you start to, you know, have some failure. You start to have injuries, um, things that feel both in your control and out of your control. And sometimes you just end up in a place where you're like, what happened? Why is this happening? I don't understand. Um, and I think really those are the times where uh, I think God kind of reveals himself most clearly um, and, and really kind of breaks down um, big or small idols that you may have developed over over the years um, and really kind of puts him back at the center of your life um, and reminds you that man, he's in he's in control and he loves you. He you know, he really does have a plan for your life even if it doesn't look like the plan that you have for your life um, and that he, you know, he, he is sovereign. And so we're talking to Mark Appel here on the sports spectrum podcast. And we'll talk, let's talk about your faith, Mark, and where that was shaped early on growing up and where Christ was in your life, maybe as a kid and then making him Lord as, as you got older. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so both my parents um, have been following Jesus uh, since before I was born. Um, and so that I think that kind of gives you a little context for me growing up. Uh, I grew up in Houston. I went to a, a Baptist school, um, went to a Presbyterian church on Sundays. Um, Christianity was really all that I knew. Uh, hmm. It was very cultural in Texas. Um, and, and I was, I kind of ran in the circles of kind of the Christian lifestyle. And so, um, you know, I was always a good kid. I always, you know, I, I wasn't always obedient, but for the most part, I, I didn't really get into too much trouble. And, um, you know, it, it was, it, it really felt like a, Hey man, God will be pleased with you if you do these things. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and so that's really kind of, how I grew up and, and it wasn't until uh, I was 10 and my parents suggested that I get baptized, um, that I had a conversation with my youth pastor at the time. And, and he really, he really walked me through the gospel and, and, you know, my need for a savior and how, um, and I am, I'm a fallen and broken person, but God still loves me. And he, he still made provision, um, to reconcile himself back to me, uh, through Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And, you know, if we place our faith in him, then, you know, we will have eternal life. And, um, and which is, which kind of broke me down because I was like, wow, I, 
I've been kind of doing all these things thinking that God was pleased with me um, and really trying to earn his, his favor or his, his grace or, or whatever it is. And realizing that the only way to earn the grace is, is that I can't like, it's just not possible. And that Christ actually did it for me. And so when I put my faith in him, then that's where I can have a relationship with God. And, um, and so that, that's really where, where my kind of my faith started. Um, and it was really challenged when I moved to California when I was 12 years old. So two years after I became a Christian, I moved to California, um, and I started going to public school, um, which was a huge culture shift from what I was used to in Houston to, you know, being in a kind of a more just secular culture, um, in California, uh, going to a public school. I mean, introduced to all sorts of different temptations when I was in, uh, in California, um, and I think those were the times, you know, in the seventh, eighth grade through high school where my faith really started to become my own. Um, I had, you know, I, like God was so gracious in putting us at the church that he did um, with the kind of the pastors that I, we had at the time. And, and, you know, I was able to really seek out answers and, and ask hard questions and, have doubts and struggle through those um, and really seek truth through what I'm experiencing as a high schooler um, and, uh, and, and starting to realize that and the gospel is not only for your forgiveness of sin, sins, but it is also for your participation in the kingdom and in what God's doing. And so, you know, I started, I really started to see a shift in, you know, how, I, you know, I think initially when I was saved, the gospel was something that was, okay, this is kind of my get out of jail free card. This is my forgiveness, um, you know, forgiveness from sins and my eternal life that's been gifted to me. Um, but now it's like, instead of it still kind of being about me, it starts to just really be only about God and his glory. Um, and, and I think that that's really, those are the, the times where my faith really, really started to grow and become my own through high school and college and, um, and, in, and then even in, in pro ball. That 10-year-old Mark Capel, where's baseball in the lexicon of your life at that age? Where's baseball? I, I love it. I, I'm, you know, playing all-stars uh, in Little League, um, just some of my best friends, at, we're at the field. I, I, I could go out and play, you know, three, four hours a day in the Houston summers and be totally fine with it. Uh, it was, it was just a passion and a joy, something I love doing. Um, basketball was also kind of the same, same way for me. I just, I love sports. Um, having an older brother, um, I always kind of wanted to like be able to challenge him and, and catch up to him. And he was always bigger, you know, stronger than I was. And so it was, it was, it was always a good challenge for me to, to try to keep up with him. Um, and and so that was, that was kind of where I really, um, you know, spent a lot of time, um, practicing, playing games. Um, and it was really just kind of a joy. It was, it was a lot of fun for me. 
Who were the guys you rooted for as a kid? Who were the posters that were on your wall? Being a Houston kid in the in the nineties, you know, it was guys like Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell and Lance Berkman and um, the Killer Bees, and oh, yeah. you know, it, it was it was a it was a fun time to be an Astros fan. Uh, kind of grown up when I was growing up, and and I think that you know I remember going to some games. I went to a couple of games at the Astrodome, and then at uh, the original Enron Field before <laughs> yeah. that whole fiasco. Um, but you know, so that that was that was really my childhood. You know, we didn't live too far from from downtown, um, and so it was it was always something that you know I, I loved doing. It was it was a big part of my life. So through high school, and you get to college, and you get to Stanford. And you pitch great there, obviously earning pitcher of the year honors after your junior season. When you look back at your time at Stanford, what memories come to mind, especially maybe even off the field, but on and off the field, both academically, spiritually, uh, athletically, how was your time at Stanford? How do you look back on that? I, I, I have really fond memories, uh, from my time at Stanford, um, you know, just some of the best people, um, some of the most in- interesting people that I've ever met. It's been, you know, I, it's hard to believe that it's been over, you know, five years since I graduated, um, mm-hmm. which is, which is crazy because it feels like it was yesterday. You know, academically, just I remember some classes that I took that were so interesting. Um, one of them, which kind of fueled my interest in entrepreneurship, um, was this class called technology entrepreneurship. And basically the whole, the whole class are, we had one grade and it was a group project and we had to start a business and that was it. And and so these are kind of experiences that were really unique to the, um, Stanford environment. And, um, you know, spiritually, uh, just, I was part of this group called Cardinal Wife and, um, it was kind of like an FCA type group, but, Really, really, it was uh, it, it was led by a couple of former Stanford athletes, and um, just the 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 lessons that I learned, the you know practical wisdom that I was able to take from that, and just apply it to my life while I'm experiencing life as a college kid. Um, you know, I, I just remember those those nights where we all got together and learn and and praise God and sing songs of worship and stuff. Uh, just a great time. And then I, I, you know, I really experienced my first kind of mentor mentee relationship, um, being discipled by a man named Jim Stump and Jim is just a really good friend of mine now. And, um, I remember as a freshman meeting with him for the first time and just getting to see and experience kind of the relationship he has with the Lord and just seeing how real it is and how he lives, you know, every day kind of in communion with Jesus and, um, getting to learn and walk through scripture with him and, and grow in my faith. Um, and then on, on the field, some of, some of my best moments uh, as a baseball player were at Stanford. I remember games where, you know, I remember one game in particular where I gave up two, two runs in the first inning and my pitching coach pulls me inside the, like the tool shed right next to our dugout and just chews me out and, I, I end up finishing the game, uh, going nine innings and then only giving up those two runs, just, you know, the next eight innings being like the most efficient and almost like, it felt like one of the most dominant pitchers, 
that I can I can think of. And um, I mean, there there are just so many so many great memories at Stanford, and I could you know I could go on and on about it, but. Um, it was really, really a, a great time. You mentioned the mentor-mentee relationship. How how important was that for you at Stanford, and and why is that so important? I guess for all of us as believers, we have a lot of people, a lot of athletes listening to this podcast, a lot of former athletes as well, and coaches. Talk about that mentor-mentee relationship, no matter what stage of life you're in, and why that's so important. Uh, it is hands down, I believe, one of the most important things you can do. Um, in your Christian walk, I think God, uh, I think, I think that's kind of what Jesus commanded of us. You, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of father, son, and Holy spirit, and, um, teaching them to obey my commands. And, you know, it's the, it's the great commission and, and, you know, being a disciple is one that makes disciples. And so the nature of being a disciple of Christ is, um, is to really replicate, you know, teach others to replicate, replicate the life that you've been taught to replicate. Um, and that goes all the way back to Christ. And, um, it's just this really, really cool, really intentional, really personal relationship. Um, and really, you know, in, in the great commission, when he says, go and make disciples, um, it could probably be better translated as, as you go, comma, make disciples. Right. And so it's not, you don't have to go out anywhere. Um, you know, it's like, you can't, you don't just make disciples on long-term mission trips or short-term mission trips or in places that you aren't planted. You make disciples as you go where you are and God has put you in a place for a reason. And so, um, you know, I, I, there's this illustration that I, I really enjoy, um, about, you know, if you're a body of water um, and you want to be a healthy, thriving body of water, something that can sustain life, right? You need both in like inflow and outflow, mm. you know? And so if you don't have inflow, um, but you have outflow, you just like that body of water won't be, won't be there for very long. If you have uh, inflow, but no outflow, then you're like the dead sea. There's nothing that can survive in it. Um, but if you have inflow and outflow, that's where life really begins to, to thrive. And it's the same way with relationships. We both, you know, we need to both as Christians seek people that are older, wiser than us to disciple us, um, in a way that we can grow, become more Christ-like, um, and we also need to be discipling others um, that are younger and, I guess, more immature, or even those that don't know the Lord and getting to introduce them to Jesus for the first time. Um, that 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 is, I think, the nature of what you know being a disciple of Jesus really looks like. And so, for me, it's it's one of the most important things. And the guy Jim Stump who mentored me in, in college, we still talk once a week, um, to continue this relationship. And it's not a, oh, we have to, you know, talk specifically about scripture or anything like that. It is a friendship where Jim is able to pour his wisdom and his knowledge that he's experienced walking with the Lord and, and walking through life, 
um, to me so that he can encourage me and, and, you know, he finds joy in seeing me grow and I find joy in seeing others grow that I'm discipling. And, um, you know, I, I really think that's kind of, that's the nature of what Christ is calling us to do in the Great Commission. That's so good. And it never changes either. I mean, I've talked to people who are in, I mean, I'm in my mid forties and I talk to people who are in their fifties and sixties and they are talking to people who are in their seventies and eighties. And it just, it seems like it's really not until our time on earth is gone that we don't stop living that type of life, no matter what stage you're at. I tell teenagers all the time, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this more. I tell teenagers, you can mentor, you can mentor a 10 or 11 or a 12 year old and work with them and then certainly seek counsel from somebody older than them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, and, and the thing is, is I think, you know, the American kind of Christian culture is I think can fall into a number of false gospels, whether it's prosperity gospel um, or, you know, like I, I fell into the forgiveness only gospel that, that Christ really only came to forgive you of your sins. Um, I think that, that, you know, uh, I've been, I've been reading the cost of discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he would call that cheap grace uh, where costly grace and those that, you know, talk about, you know, you know, you're saved by only by grace through faith um, would would understand the call of Christ to become a disciple um, and, and realize how costly that grace was um, and is. And so, uh, you know, I, I think I think that there are a lot of areas where we can kind of fall victim to these, you know, these half truths, um, and, and really miss out on the point of like, we are, we are serving the Lord because he's called us to that. He's bought us with a price. That price was huge. Um, and the proper response for the price that, you know, that God bought us with Jesus's blood is a total, you know, total just, 180 from what we're doing and giving up our lives for the call of Christ because it's worth it. And so, um, I've been, I've been really challenged by that, but part of that is discipleship. And, and so, yeah, I think the teenagers and the, you know, wherever you are in your relationship with God, I mean, both seeking out those to disciple you and seeking out others to disciple um, is such a healthy thing. And, and I think really where a lot of sanctification happens in our, uh, in our relationship with the Lord. We'll have more of our interview with Mark Appel in just a moment, but want to take a second to tell you about Compassion International. Here's why Compassion Child Sponsorship is so powerful. It's church-based. Compassion works exclusively through the local church and communities all over the world. It's one child at a time. Caring Christian adults in the local church know every child by name, whether they're sick or well, struggling or excelling, and walk each child into discovering their God-given talents and calling, helping over 1.8 million children in 25 countries. And it's Christ-centered, every single child being discipled in the Word of God, over 150,000 children choosing to follow Jesus Christ in the last year alone because of people like you sponsoring children through compassion. $38 a month. Don't delay. Give a child a hope. Give a child a future. 
Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum, sponsor a child today. Now back to our interview with former number one overall Major League Baseball draft pick, Mark Appel, here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Let's go back onto the field a little bit and talk about your, your baseball journey from Stanford. You actually get drafted three times. The Tigers in 2009, the Pirates in 2012, number seven overall, by the way, in 12. I know that was sort of a, a very public thing that was taking place there. And, and then, of course, number one overall in 2013 by your hometown team, the Houston Astros. I guess I'll start with the question of, was there ever a doubt in your mind when you were in college that you'd someday see the big leagues? Because I know it didn't happen, and we'll talk about the journey. But at that time, is there even a doubt in your mind? Um. You know, I, well, I would say absolutely. Okay. I, I, part of part of that was more of an ignorance of not really knowing what to expect, um, and 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 part of it was just say focus on the next. Like I I I wasn't even thinking that far ahead, um, mm. just focusing on the next game. So I, you know, I was like, the big leagues will get there whenever the big leagues get there. I think I'm good. In, you know, I think if I keep working hard and I keep having success, I'll be good enough to get there. But you know, I have to face UCLA this weekend, so I'm going to think about that. Uh, right. And so, um, you know, I, I, I was a late bloomer in high school. And so playing college was playing college baseball was a uh, was one of those things that I, I had doubts about. I didn't know if I could play D1 college baseball. Um, and, and then when I got a scholarship offer. I was like, okay, great. Well, I, it looks like I can play D1. Now, I wonder if I can play pro ball. Um, and getting drafted you know, in high school was like, okay, well, maybe there's an opportunity after college to play pro ball, but, but we'll see. You know, I, it was never a for sure thing for me. Um, and then you know, I, think, I think you start having success. You're the national pitcher of the year after your junior year. You're a first rounder. Yeah. You go back to school for your senior year. You know, you're the first overall pick. And everybody's saying, for sure, big leaguer, going to happen within a year, all this stuff, uh, you know, just like these incredibly high expectations. Um, and so I think, I think kind of during those last couple years of college, I started to really believe, yeah, I, I, can, I can be a big leaguer. This, this, can, uh, this can happen for sure. Did you feel the weight of being the number one overall pick right away? Uh, because obviously – as you're starting to go into your pro career and it's not turning out at least from the worldly perspective in the way that you would hope. But did you feel that weight of signing that big, you know, big bonus, getting that big bonus from Houston and being the number one overall pick? I, I don't know if it was an immediate weight that I felt, but for sure going into my first full season, I felt the weight of it. Um, you know, I, I went into spring training injured uh, with that, I had appendicitis and an appendectomy right before spring training. And so I missed most of spring training. And, um, so that was a bummer. I felt like I was this, you know, this new first rounder in big league camp, but I wasn't able to do anything. So I just had to sit and watch and learn. And, um, and, and so, you know, and, and so kind of the, the pressure that was, okay, I, I feel like I'm already a little bit behind. So let me catch up and and get up to you know double a or triple a or whatever um in that first year and um you know it, it and then on the other on the other side was the 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 finances the astros made a huge investment in me and yeah. i you know i take that seriously i don't want to 
I don't want to ever just be the guy that takes something for granted and doesn't work hard. And so I, I said, you know what, the Astros are, are putting a, a, a huge amount of trust and, and, and money into kind of me and, and in my career. And so I'm, I'm going to work as hard as I can to, you know, honor that and to kind of be the best player that I can possibly be for the organization and for my teammates and my coaches and the fans um, that are really, you know, really excited about me being a part of the organization. And then, yeah, year you're referring to the full, first full year, 2014, on the increase, which is part of Sports Spectrum's network here, you share the story uh, of something that took place when you were in Lancaster. I believe it was California, Lancaster, California, yes, 2014. Right. Can you tell us, tell us about that season and then take us to that moment uh, that you share on the increase and tell us that story? Sure. Um, you know, like I said, I started that season kind of missing most of spring training. And so I was, I was anxious and excited to get started with the season once I was healthy. Uh, and I get out to Lancaster and Lancaster has this reputation of being a, uh, a hitter's park in every sense of the word. The, uh, the wind blows out by about 30 miles an hour every single night. Um, and so, yeah, I, like, for example, I broke a bat and gave up a home run over the fence um, in Lancaster. <laughs> that's that, the that, worst, right? <laughs> that shouldn't happen. Uh, but, I, like, I'm not the only one who has, like, nightmarish Lancaster stories, you know. Lance McCullers has some nightmarish Lancaster stories, and he is, you know, one of the, you know, bright and, you know, coming up stars and uh, for, for the Astros and just ha has had a couple of really, really good years in the big leagues. Yeah. Um, but he got beat up in, in Lancaster too. So like, I'm not, I'm not the only one that was, you know, subject to it. The things about the thing about my struggles is one, I, I was kind of in a new system that I was really learning, um, that the Astros were implementing. Um, and, and I was also coming off the injury. And so, I found myself in a place where I really didn't feel like I was able to recover from start to start. Um, and it, it just felt like I, I couldn't get back up to 100% by the time I was expected to throw again. Uh, and, uh, and so the Astros let me go back to extended spring training for about a month or so to get on a kind of a, a little bit a, a, a throwing program that would um, let me get back to 100% when I, when I started again. You know, in college, I, I had three years of starting in college. My freshman year, I was out of the bullpen. But my sophomore, junior, and senior year, you know, I was starting. And we, we pitched once a week. And so I had six full days of rest in between my starts. And, um, and so I, I just needed to learn how to have a little bit less rest in pro ball um, and still get my body back to 100%. And coming off the injury and, and trying to do that, it, it just didn't work. And so the Astros gave me a little bit of time to do that. Once I was done with that little extended spring training stint, I went back to Lancaster. And uh, I remember that first game was one of my worst. And, I, you know, I was ready. I was excited. I was like, fresh start. We're going we're gonna to get after it. And it was just one of the worst games I've had. And... Uh, <laughs> And from there through the next, like, probably five or six weeks, you know, my best – the best game – I mean, the, the most innings I threw was, like, five innings, mm -hmm. and the least runs that I gave up was, like, three runs. And so 
my ERA was skyrocketing. I was walking guys. I wasn't striking anybody out. It was, I mean, literally the worst that I've ever pitched. And I mean, it was like less than a year after I got drafted. And so, you know, I'm in Lancaster trying to figure out what's going on. I'm working hard. I'm, I'm changing things. I'm trying to figure it out. And just, it seems like nothing worked. And, uh, and so I, I got to this point where I was just really at my kind of at my wits end. I, I, I was like, I had nothing, nothing left to offer. It seemed like, um, and I, uh, after the game or after I got taken out in like the second inning of one of these games, I go up into the locker room and I, I just, you know, I feel like I just need to release something that's inside of me that has been built up for the last, you know, probably six months since the injury. Um, and I think part of it was just the pressure and the expectation and the frustration of not pitching well and feeling like I'm spinning my wheels, like working so hard, but I'm not getting anywhere. And, um, and I feel like I want to like throw something or hit something like punch the wall or just like scream or yell or whatever on the cooler or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I knew better to, to not to punch something because I've seen guys break their hands and stuff like that. So I just decided to, to throw, to throw something. So I pick up this baseball that was on the ground and I throw it at a locker kind of was right in between these two lockers. There's like this, this wood panel and uh, I throw it at this wood panel and the ball just shoots straight through the wood panel. And I was like, that kind of felt good. I need, I need, I need to do more of that. Uh, so I found, I found this box full of like 75, 80 baseballs. I set up a chair and for the next probably 15 minutes, I am crow hopping, throwing these baseballs through this wall in Lancaster while the game is going on. Like I, I still hear the cheers of the game going on outside and, uh, but I'm just throwing these balls and, you know, with every throw, I'm knocking off a little bit more and more of this wall. Um, and, uh, and then when it's all said and done, like there are no more baseballs to throw. I'm, you know, by then I'm, you know, I'm, have tears running down my face. It's just, a, I look like a mess, but I sit down and I just sense this like calmness, this like peace, um, both in the room and in my heart. And I'm reminded of, um, I'm reminded of Paul's words in Philippians four and, um, you know, Philippians four is like Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, but I'm reminded of the, the, the verses just before that, which says, uh, I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And hmm. it, it, it reminded me of the fact that I'm in a circumstance that I don't necessarily want to be in struggling in high a like less than a year after I'm the first overall pick. Right. Um, but there is 
contentment to be had in Christ. And he in Christ is the one who will give me the strength to be content in the circumstance. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was just kind of this eye opening lesson and revelation that, that God just kind of reminded me and showed me his truth in scripture, um, that I was so focused on getting to the next level and being this superstar, all-star, whatever player that I was expected to be when what I was missing was the relationships that were to be had in Lancaster, the lessons to be learned in Lancaster. I was just trying to push the fast forward button um, and like get to the next level, get to the next level, get to the next level. And I realized that if I'm always focusing on the next level, then I'll forever be focusing on the next level. Even if I get to the big leagues, I want to be the first starter. If I, I'm the first starter, I want to be an all-star. If I'm an all-star, I want to be Cy Young Award winner. I want to win a World Series. I want to do all these things. And then at the end of the day, your baseball career is over, and it's like, what's next? You know. And it, it was just a humble reminder of Christ is enough. Christ is all we need. Um, Christ is sufficient for whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whether you are winning a world series or you're in Lancaster throwing baseballs through a wall because your ERA is over 10. Um, and, and it was, it was, it was really cool. And the, the next day, well, I was going to ask you about the next day. What happened the next day when they come in and see this wall? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so obviously after the game, you know, guys are, are walking in, to the locker room and they see, they see this wall that's absolutely destroyed. And, and everyone's like, do I, you know, like, what do I, what do I do? It was kind of quiet. We, I think we won the game. So everyone was happy, but like I was in there. And so they knew that I was, uh, they knew that I was like frustrated or they didn't know what kind of emotional state I would be in. And so by then I had really calmed down and, I was kind of laughing and stuff like that. And the manager called me into his office and he said, Hey, you know, just want to make sure you're okay. Um, you know, obviously you're going to have to pay for the repairs or whatever. Uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So I talked to the the guy who kind of is like the clubhouse manager. Um, and I said, Hey, if it's okay, do you mind if I fix this myself? And if you don't like the quality of the work, you can just redo it and pay for it or, and get somebody like get a professional to come fix it. And then I'll, I'll pay for them. But I, I'd like to try to fix it myself. And he said, yeah, that's fine. Um, and so the next day I went to home Depot and I kind of, I got all the materials that I needed to replace this wall. And um, I remember being outside staining this giant piece of plywood uh, that I had bought and, you know, I, I remember thinking, man, this, like, this piece of plywood is, is three-quarter inch thick oak plywood. It is the sturdiest of sturdy. There's no way a baseball could be thrown through this thing. <laughs> and the thing that I was throwing through, it looked like plywood, but it was really particle board. And it was like this cheap, like, soft stuff that, you know, you could easily punch or kick or, or whatever and, and punch a hole through. 
And I, I was just like, I, I just kind of sensed that God was showing me like, hey, this is kind of a picture of what your heart is like and what I'm doing in your heart. You know, you, you had you you had a heart that, um, you know, was was fickle and 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 was easily swayed by the things of this world and and easily frustrated and and discontent. Um, and I'm replacing it with a, with a kind of a, a, a new heart, um, something that won't be so easily swayed, something that will be anchored in, in truth, something that will be um, just really, really sturdy. Um, and so when, when kind of the storms of this life come that are similar to the storms you just experienced, like you'll be able to withstand it because it's really not your heart, but it's my heart. Um, and it was... It was just this really cool kind of picture of, of what God was doing. And, and I realized that the last, you know, six months that I had gone through that were just really, really frustrating and difficult was all worth it just for that one lesson um, of the remind, being reminded of, of where I find my peace and my contentment in Christ and, and being thankful for this kind of new heart and this new lesson that I would be able to to kind of go through different storms of life uh, with a little bit more sturdiness than, than I previously had. Man, so you step away from baseball and you just become a carpenter, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's amazing. Listen, I, we're going to wrap it up here in a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit about making the decision to walk away. Um, the Bleacher Report article, I actually didn't like their title, but I, you know, it is what it is when they called it perhaps the biggest bust in Major League Baseball history. I just wonder what led finally to making that decision. I know we talked in the beginning of this interview about prayer and obviously um, what you've been doing since or how things are going right now, but what led to that decision to, I mean, you're still only 26, so there's plenty of time still in the eyes of what I would say is, you know, the baseball lifespan, but you made a decision to, to step away. So what led to that? Um, there, I think there were a number of things that led to it. Um, one of them, the, probably the biggest thing was the fact that I haven't been healthy in the last two years. Um, I had a shoulder, I mean, an elbow surgery in 2016. I had a shoulder strain in 2016, another shoulder strain in 2017. You know, I, I, I missed over 50% of the season the last two years in AAA. And, uh, it, it, you know, the DL... I think it was really just kind of wearing me down. It, you know, it, it, you, you feel like you're so far removed from competitive baseball because you're trying to get healthy to get back to it as soon as possible. Uh, but it, it, it seemed like, you know, I would go through the rehab process. I would check off all the boxes and then I'd start throwing again and it would just start hurting. My shoulder would start hurting again. Mm. Um, and, and it was just kind of discouraging um, in that sense. And, and I think in those times, I also realized, man, I'm, I'm really far away from a lot of the people that I love. I, I've missed out on, on weddings and um, birthdays and, uh, you know, anniversaries and all, all these things that I, I really cherish. You know, I'm, I'm a very relational guy. And, and so feeling like um, that kind of relational cup was not really filled um, was a big factor for why I, you know, kind of made that decision. Um, 
And then also just realizing that there are, there are kind of other things that God has kind of put on my heart that I'm interested in and passionate about. Um, and, uh, and maybe being able to take some time to pursue those things. Um, and, you know, I, I, I never, I've, I've never said that I'm retiring from baseball or anything like that because, you know, I, I don't ever want to close the door on something that I know that the door isn't closed on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if God calls me back into baseball, um, I will like gladly and joyfully go back into it. Um, I don't have current plans right now. I'm, you know, I'm, my shoulder still does not feel great. Um, and I haven't even played catch in, in the last couple months. And so, um, that would be the first thing that would need to happen if baseball was a, was a reality is getting my shoulder checked out and, and, uh, and, and making sure I'm healthy and I'm ready to go. But kind of in the meantime, I've, I've really learned a lot of lessons and like God, I think God has humbly shifted my perspective. Um, and, and just really kind of reminded me of his truths and taught me things that are, are really, uh, really special and are really important. Um, you know, when it, when it comes down to, Hey, if baseball is going to be a thing, I'm going to need to know these things. And I couldn't have learned these things if I just continued in baseball. Um, you know, this, this, these six months that I've been away from the game, um, have really been a huge, huge blessing. And whether baseball is a thing or not, um, I know they are, you know, growing me and preparing me for whatever God is leading me into next. Is it something you can still be around? Can you go to a game? Can you, uh, obviously you got a lot of friends, people that you came up with in the system and certainly watching the Astros do what they did last year, winning the World Series and guys that I'm sure you played with and know very well. Is, is it okay to be around that right now? Or is it something that you literally have to just completely isolate yourself from to kind of get yourself where you want to get to? God has really protected me from a, a like from bitterness or resentment or anything like that. I have no regrets in baseball. Like I worked hard. I knew I worked hard. Like there were just things that uh, some outside my control, some inside my control in a sense of, you know, not from a lack of effort, but just from a lack of execution. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like sometimes, sometimes failure just happens. Um, and as much as you work to prevent that or, uh, or whatever, sometimes you just don't execute. And so, um, but there are no regrets and I have no bitterness or resentment. I've actually been to a bunch of big league games this year. Um, you know, one of my, one of my best friends and close brothers in Christ is, is uh, Stephen Piscotti. And so, yeah. um, I've been able to go to a number of, at, uh, A's games, um, when he's been in town to play the Astros. Um, and then there, I've just been to a couple of Astros games kind of independent, um, cause I'm still close with a number of those guys. Like I said, Lance McCullers is one of my very good friends and, um, I mean, there are, there are a number of guys on the, on the Astros that I still keep in touch with. And so, uh, it, it's, it's pretty neat being able to still go to the games and not feel like I, one, that I should be out there or two, that I shouldn't be in the stands even watching the games because I'm so over baseball. Like I, I still love the game. I still think it's a, a fun 
fun place to be. Um, you know, and so I'm, I'm thankful for that because, you know, it's been such a big part of my life. So where you are now, this season of life, what have you been learning from God? What's the biggest lesson that you feel like you're learning from Jesus during this season of life, maybe even in the last six months or so? Yeah. Um, it's funny that you asked that and that this kind of interview podcast is happening today because yesterday I was texting a good friend of mine in pro ball and, um, you know, he was just, he, he kind of expressed to me that he was thinking about walking away from baseball and, Hmm. you know, and I, I just kind of asked him what led him to that decision. And he, he gave me a little insight, um, just about the struggles and, feeling like you aren't making a difference and feeling like, you know, um, just like under feeling the, the toll that the game takes on you mentally. And, um, and I, you know, kind of for the first time I got to really think about and reflect on the things that God's been teaching me in this year to share with a guy like that. And so, um, well, make sure he listens to this podcast, right, Mark? (laughs) Well, (laughs) Well, I, I, uh, I, I, I sent them over to him and I'll just kind of read them That'd be great. Um, cause, cause there, there are four things that I really kind of recognize uh, about just life and baseball specifically. Mm. And the first one is baseball is just a game. It doesn't need you and you don't need it. It feels worthwhile when it's fun and meaningless when it's not, but there's so much more that defines you Two, struggle is a blessing. Real character is developed and built through seasons of struggle. Embrace them. Trust God through them. Be hopeful in them. The enemy wants us to doubt every aspect of it. Three, God doesn't need you to be special or significant to accomplish his will. I think the biggest lie we believe in this world is that you have to, ha- you have, to have success or be influential in order to have an impact or make a difference. Or we have to be a good baseball player to make a difference in other baseball players' lives. God will use whoever he wants to accomplish whatever he wants. All he is doing is inviting us into that work so we can be used by him, even if that means giving up our hopes and dreams, even the ones that we think are good and God-glorifying. Our work becomes significant not because we accomplish something, but because Jesus accomplished something on our behalf. And number four, relationships are the most important thing we can strive for. First and foremost, a deep and thriving relationship with our Creator, Lord, and Savior. Secondly, with our families. And thirdly, with our friends. All of these are gifts from God that we don't inherently deserve or have earned. And so those, those were, are just kind of lessons that I've learned. Um, and kind of shifting my pr- perspective to really be reminded of these truths. And um, that's why I told the guy, you know, that I was, I was talking to, I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll send you some scripture that, that kind of backs those up. But, um, you know, those are, those are things that I have learned and I've really just held on to in this season. Um, because, you know, I think for a lot of athletes, identity is such a huge thing. And so when baseball is taken away from you, what is your identity? Because it's such a huge part of your life. And, um, and just being reminded and, struggling through the identity crises that you have when you're walking away from the game um, is, is something that, you know, God has kind of worked through me and he's still working. I'm, I, you know, I told the guy like, I do not have everything figured out. I don't, 
you know, I really don't have all the answers or any answers that are worth anything, but I have learned a few things. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of the nature of the Christian walk. We'll never have it all figured out, but if we can take, you know, one day at a time, one moment at a time and really trust God with our next steps and trust God with, with, you know, the, the lessons that he's teaching us and, and trusting him in obedience, um, you know, he'll take care of, of the rest of it. Um, he'll, he'll put us exactly where we need to be. He'll give us the influence and the impact that he wants us to have. And it's really all for his glory. This has been awesome. And I think a lot of people listening, Mark, will be really encouraged to know that, you know what, okay, life deals us obstacles and your obstacle, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, in many ways was so public and I think God is already using what the world would say is a failure to have you make an even bigger significance for the kingdom, which is really cool to hear, especially just sharing what you shared with your friend there on text. This has been great. Mark, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and uh, wish you nothing but the best. If Maybe we won't see you. Maybe we will see you on the baseball field again. But either way, we know you're making a huge impact for the kingdom. So thank you for joining us and sharing your story. Appreciate it, Jason. Thanks so much. And thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this. You know, I think stories, stories like mine and stories that are, you know, that hopefully reveal the character of God and kind of encourage others, I think are stories that need to be shared. And so I'm, I'm really thankful for the, the podcast and, and just everything you're doing and all the hard work. Appreciate it, Jason. And we do thank Mark Appel, former number one overall draft pick by the Houston Astros, for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Really appreciate his heart and just love the wisdom that he was spitting out in this interview. I got to go back and listen to it myself and bring a notebook because his stuff on discipleship and talking about the inflow and outflow and the body of water and why it's so important for us to be pouring into others and to allow others to pour into us was gold. I mean, it was gold. So we appreciate Mark for being here on the podcast and wish him nothing but the best. And we appreciate you. We also appreciate Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child today. It's the greatest gift you can ever give a child. Simply one word, hope. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum, sponsor a child today. Thank you so much for joining us here in the podcast. You can reach us on Twitter at sports underscore spectrum, of course, on Facebook and Instagram as well. You can see and listen to all of our sports spectrum content on our YouTube channel. And you can also get everything, all things sports spectrum over at sportspectrum.com. You can also become a member of the sports spectrum family for just $36 for the entire year. And you become a member of Sports Spectrum, where you get our quarterly magazine. Our latest issue, our summer issue, is out right now. It's an action sports issue. First time we've ever done that. $36 for the entire year over at SportsSpectrum.com. And you also help fund things like this podcast and things like our content uh, that we write and produce every single day over at SportsSpectrum.com. So sign up there and become a member of the Sports Spectrum family. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you next time right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast.